Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. And he has never failed on that promise, and I'm thankful for it. I have a few announcements to make. I'm going to hold those until we're done here. I do feel like the Lord laid something on my heart, and hopefully in the next few moments, somebody told me to go to 1.30. I don't think I can do that. I might be able to do one, but hopefully we'll be, we'll be out of here before then. I feel like the Lord has already spoken. And I feel like he's going to speak again. And however he chooses to do that, I want to follow the leading of the Lord. If you'll, if you'll join me this morning in the book of Luke, we'll read Luke 24. And we'll, we'll read verses 30 through 32. We're, we're going to kind of come in on the end of, a, of, a, of an encounter, uh, 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 if you will, and... and We'll try to connect the dots here in, in a few moments. Luke 24, verses 30 and 32, the Bible says, And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scripture. And this morning, I just want to speak to you from a very simple topic, a revelation of hope, a revelation of hope. You may be seated. Thank you for your worship, your sensitivity to the Holy Ghost. Expectations are something that are inevitable we always expect in life. We can't help but expect things. And expectations often determine our reality. You know, what we, what we expect to happen or what we think might happen or occur can affect our mentality for the present, but it can also affect our mentality for the future. There's such thing as a false expectation. There are such things as unrealistic expectations. You know, we can sort of kind of make up in our own minds the way we think something should turn out. We can kind of use our own human ability and reasoning and deduction to, to try to determine how a set of circumstances or events will turn out or the way that they will come out, if, if you will, if we'll say it in our country vernacular, it, when everything comes out in the wash. But there's a danger in false expectations. There's a, there's a danger in unrealistic expectations because when we expect something to happen, 
or we expect something to turn out a certain way or the way that we think it should, well then when it doesn't, it can create doubt and it can create room for discouragement in our present and even for our future. For them, the hour seemed bleak and somewhat hopeless. What those who were close to him thought would happen didn't quite pan out the way they thought that it would. You see, by now they should be sitting on thrones, judgment seats, as they shared in the duty of ruling alongside him. A rescued nation is what they thought they would be a part of, but as it turns out, the kingdom was not yet established, or at least not the way they anticipated it to be. And so now they're left with a surplus of questions and a deficit of answers. For hope in some is waning, and sadness and loss are certainly setting in. Others have even returned to what they knew before he came and called them, while others don't even recognize him when he appears but they will. It was the topic on everyone's list. It was the highest topic on everyone's lips. It was the conversation that all were coming into contact with. It was the biggest news that had occurred, at least to date, in their generation. The man, Christ Jesus, the one that many had grown to love, the one that many had followed and sat in on his teachings and listened to his authoritative preaching and teaching of the word, that same Jesus has been sentenced and executed on false and unfounded accusations. But to complicate matters even more, reports of his missing body are beginning to surface and beginning to spread throughout the, the land. And on the heels of his crucifixion, we are introduced to a very unique account in the gospel of Luke. Not mentioned in two of the gospels preceding and briefly touched in the gospel of Mark, we find an account of two disciples conversing as they travel to a town called Emmaus. There's much conjecture as to where this Emmaus was or its precise location, however, more than a few have agreed that it was around maybe a half a day's journey or about seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they traveled, as they walked together, as they communed together, they reasoned among themselves and in themselves about the current events and what has just transpired in the last few days. Luke 24 and 15 says, And it came to pass, that while they communed together in reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these, that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And so we see by this scripture, by this account, and the way that Jesus approaches them, that by their very countenance and their very conversation, the look on their face, so to speak, and the way that they carried themselves, he could see that they were perplexed by the events of the hour. Their communication revealed their desire to determine the outcome 
of what has just occurred. And by all accounts, it seems that they're reasoning in themselves and among themselves as, as to all of this is going to turn out. Debating on the, on the validity or at least as to the validity of what others have relayed to them in that Jesus' body was not in the tomb. And what this means now for the nation as a whole, that's when Jesus himself appears to them. As they're walking, as they're communing, as they're conversing, as they're reasoning in and among themselves, Jesus draws near to him. Now, we don't know if it was deliberate or if it was just the circumstances of the hour that cloaked their, their, their vision or at least hindered their ability to recognize him, but they didn't. They did not know him. They, they, they only saw him as a stranger. As he came beside them, he asked them the question, what are you two talking about? Luke 24 and 18 through 19, the Bible says, and one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and, and said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? And hast thou, hast thou hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? Are you, are you just now getting here? Have you not been in Jerusalem? This is the Passover. We have been here celebrating. We have been here communing. We have been here sacrificing. And we see that Jesus has, has been crucified. And are you just now getting on this boat? How do you not know? What's going on in the world today? How do you not understand the things that have occurred? And Jesus, the Bible says, and he said unto them, what things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, get this, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. Now let me just pause here and take a little bit of a commercial break here this morning and tell you something that you probably already know. But Jesus never asks a question <laughs> that he doesn't already know the answer to. He never approaches a subject. He never comes into a conversation not knowing what's going on. He never asks a question that he doesn't already know the answer. And so in this moment, he's not attempting to gather information about what has happened. He obviously knows what has happened because he's already been involved in what has transpired. But what he is trying to get to is the heart of the matter. It's not about what's going on. It's not about what has just happened. It's not about what you're talking about. He wants to know where they stand on the matter. And they gave him the answer, which was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. It's, it's his modus operandi. He does not enter into a conversation or a connection without already knowing the outcome. He doesn't ask, ask a question that he doesn't already know the answer to. If you recall in Matthew 16, whom do men say that I am and whom do you say that I am? He could hear the, he could hear the voices in the backgrounds. He could hear all the peripheral conversations that was going on. He knew exactly what people were saying about him, but he wanted to know where they stood in the conversation. He wanted to know where they stood on the matter. And so Jesus never begins a conversation without first calls and without knowing exactly where he is going in his destination. And so let me take another pause here, another commercial on top of the commercial, and tell somebody here this morning without getting too far ahead of myself, he knows exactly where you are. 
are. He knows right where you are. Right here at this moment, he knows where your mind is. He knows where your heart is. He knows where everything is going on. He's the alpha and he's the omega. He's the beginning and he's the end. And he knows the end from the beginning. The Bible says in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And so he already knows the destination. He wants to know where you stand on the matter. He's not ignorant to what has happened. He's not ignorant to what's going on in your life. He's not searching for answers as if to find a recourse for what he might do. And I'll say it again. He wants to know where you are in your mind and in your heart. And for these disciples, God has them right where he wants them. They reveal to him in verses 20 through 22 where they stand. And that is, they really don't know where they stand. They reveal to him what has occurred, but they also reveal to him that they really don't know what's going on. They really don't know where they stand. Mind you, their world has been upside down. It's been turned topsy-turvy. What they thought was going to happen did not happen. And so in verse 21, they express their trust that he would be the one, that Jesus would be the one who would redeem Israel. They thought that he would have done this by some establishing some sort of political overthrow or some coup, if you will, by political force or by some army of soldiers that would take over the nation and capture it back for the glory of God. They did not think that this was going to happen by his death. And I'll just take another break and say they still don't believe that it happened by his death. They reveal to him their frustration. They unfold to him and open themselves up and show him their uncertainty. They open up to him and understandably reveal their dejected state. And Jesus responds, Luke 24 and 25 through 27. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Let me just pause here again and say that Jesus answers somewhat harshly. We see that, oh fools, that's a strong word, but it's also very important to understand this. He chose men like this for a reason. He 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 searched out men and women like this for a reason. You see, although they experienced doubt, even though they experienced circumstances that would top, that would top anything that any of us have ever gone through, even though that they experienced circumstances beyond the belief of anybody that could ever think it up, although they experienced doubt and distrust in their own lives and even in their own ministries, at the first, at how hesitant they were to believe that Jesus could have died in order to obtain victory victory, it was this same men and women that he chose for a reason. Because when they got it, they got it. When they, when they leaned in and when they put all of their trust in there, it was their eventual understanding and their steadfast belief in that what caused them to preach the gospel to every creature and to every nation and unto the uttermost parts of the 
earth and subsequently face their own crucifixions and deaths because of it. It was those men and women that he chose and it was those two men or maybe a man and a woman because we don't know who the other disciple was. It was those two people that he chose even though they were reasoning within themselves even though they had questions about what was going on and and how these things would occur. It was them that he chose to carry out the gospel. This was not Jesus being mean. This was not Jesus just using forward words just to, just to try to get a rise out of someone. He was setting them up for something. He was setting them up for revelation because in verse 27 the Bible says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning him. Self. Now this has even broader implications and I'll only spend a few moments here this morning. But what Jesus is doing in this moment, what Jesus is beginning to do here is to bring the Old Testament into the New Testament. He is pulling those things together. Beginning at Moses by implementing a command. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart and hear it and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk to them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up from here from Moses they're walking they're just having a conversation and Jesus comes along beside of them all the current events that have occurred all the things I wish somebody would hear this this morning all the devastation that they have experienced all those things that are that are that are against them all those things that are trying to trip them up to trying to disperse them trying to get them out of God's will he started there as they're walking as they're conversing as they're they're sort of kind of piling over the things that have occurred he implements this command and comes alongside of them and he brings this with him he didn't just come with a cake he didn't just come with a drink and a glass of water but he brought the word with him it was the word with the word and he brought that right up alongside of them and expounded in the scriptures connecting all that had transpired in their ministry together to the prophecies and the foreshadowing of the Messiah to come. The incarnation, the birth, the teachings, the miracles, the suffering, the death leading to the resurrection, all connecting to the moment that they found themselves in at that time and all culminating into a very crucial moment in the journey. Uncertain to as the time that it took that Jesus walked with them. I don't know when he came beside them. I don't know how far they were into the journey. I don't know how much longer they had to go. But it must have been sort of kind of in the middle. Because we come to a very crucial moment in that journey. We see these two disciples as they travel with him. And they listen to his words as he expounds on the scripture and the journey winds to a close as they near the village of Emmaus. 
Luke 24 and 28 through 29. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And he made as if he would go farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. Jesus obliged and went into their home, and what happens next is the result of what had all been transpiring all along this way. The Bible says in Luke 24 and 30, And it came to pass, and he sat at meat with them, and he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And the Bible says their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Now I'm treading on very, very dangerous ground this morning with what I'm about to talk about because where we are in the fast. I'm going to talk about bread for a few moments. And I know that there's two little ladies in my household that's probably going to get a little tight here for a moment because they love bread. There's a reason why they love bread. There's a reason why you love bread. Because there's just something about the bread. There's just something about the bread. And there's something about the breaking of the bread. In the breaking of the bread, the disciples' eyes were opened and they knew him. Not coincidentally, Mark 8, Matthew 15, Mark 6 and 30, Luke 9 and 10, and Matthew 14. All record Jesus feeding multitudes miraculously by the breaking of the bread. In this final meal with his disciples during the Passover, Jesus implements the importance of breaking the bread. Matthew 26 and 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And from that point forward, begin to reveal unto them the things that would occur and transpire and come of the Son of Man. There's just something about the breaking of the bread. It's something about he did and the way that he did that, that revealed things, hear me now, that opened up the eyes, that opened up the understanding of those in his, uh, in his connection. What he taught, what he taught that day, I'm skipping ahead just a little bit further and then we'll go back the disciples continue to carry out in remembrance as he instructed the disciples recognized, organized and observed this custom in the taking of the bread of the eating of the bread of the taking in of the wine they became his body as are we by the ingesting of this word, by putting it in our hearts by writing its precepts on our minds and on our in our foreheads in in, in in everything that we do in our uprising in our down sitting in our out in our in in everything that we do obedience to it in repentance in baptism in Jesus name and by the infilling of the Holy Ghost we now have become his body the coming together of the body of Christ along with the breaking of bread from house to house in the book of Acts created unity and it created a sense of mission for the disciples. It was in this breaking of bread that both denote the word of God and the physical, literal act of sharing meals together. It was together. It was when they came together and they broke the bread. They broke it and they shared. 
in the meal, in the sharing of the meal, one undoubtedly breaks off pieces of themselves. You just can't help but do it as you converse, as you come together, as you open yourself, and as others open themselves together in the breaking of bread works in tandem with the breaking of the bread, which is the word. And according to Romans 15, 1 through 7, that's what provides us our comfort, our hope, and our connection. It's in the breaking of the bread. It's the revelation of the hope that is in the word of God. And Jesus always used the symbolism of breaking of bread to reveal himself. According to John 6 and 48, he said, I am the bread of life. In John 16 and 6 and 51, he said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Furthermore, and even more significantly, Jesus breaks the bread. He breaks the bread and begins to reveal something very important to us here this morning. He reveals himself, but he reveals himself as he assumes the role of the Father. You see, in Jewish custom, it was the role of the Father at the dinner table. It was only his role to break the bread. He would break the bread. The, some accounts even say that he would bless it as he break it. And he would break the bread and distribute it to his family. And so as Jesus sits at this table with these two people, he begins to break the bread. He's already been breaking the bread. He's already been bringing alongside of them the word, the scripture, the prophets, the major prophets, the minor prophets, the psalms. He's talking about himself the whole time. He's giving them all this word this whole time. And as he assumes that role as the father and blesses and breaks that bread, he begins to reveal himself as the father. As Jesus assumes this role and all the mentioned, all the mentioned instances up to this point, he's revealing himself as the Father. Can you get that this morning? There is only one on the throne and his name is Jesus. He is the Father. He is the Son. He is the Holy Ghost. There's not three, there's not three uh, distinct persons in one. It's not separate. It's not, he's not a junior. He's not a second. He is God Almighty. He is God Almighty manifest in flesh and he is the bread of life you see that is his goal that has always been his goal from the very beginning as he as he communed with Adam in the garden in the cool of the day as he as he clothed him even in his indiscretion even throughout time as man waned and as man just found himself in a pit God's desire has always been to reveal himself and hear me this morning revelation will 
only come by the word of God. God will never reveal to you anything that contradicts this word. For this word is forever settled in heaven and there is nothing above it. And revelation will only come by it and a love for the word, hear me now, will always lead to revelation. And so we can have this word and we can lay it on a shelf somewhere and it'll just be on a shelf. But if we'll love it, if we'll keep it, if we'll believe its word, it will reveal to us what we need to see. It is no doubt that when all was said and done, this is when the disciples said, did not our heart burn within us while he opened to us the scripture? It's here where they simultaneously believe by what they have seen and experienced and remembered and reached back by all those things culminating into this event. It all came by the breaking of bread. It all happened at a table, in a house, in an intimate setting with the master. But there was one very pivotal point that made the difference in all of this. There was one pivotal moment that created the atmosphere for all of this to happen. And it's not even 12 o'clock and I'm coming to a close. This is where I wanted to get to. Had they never invited him in, had they never said, just a few more moments, they would have never known his true identity. You see, the Bible says that he was going further. The Bible says that he made as if he would have gone further. And can I tell you this morning, he would have gone further. It was this crux, if you will. It was this pivotal moment, if you will. Our musicians can come. The Bible says is that as he made himself as if he would go further, they constrained him. If it had not been for that moment, he would have just been ultimately a stranger to them. Had they not gone that extra step, they would have never known him. The circumstances they underwent, the current situation that they found themselves in could have overtaken the moment. And they could have traveled past Revelation. The circumstances that they found themselves in, the tragedy, the, the overwhelming dejection that they felt by uncertainty and not knowing what was going to happen, could have traveled all the way past Revelation. I feel like in the Holy Ghost, I have felt this, that I need to say this, but we, and I say this with great respect, but we must get our eyes off of what is going on. We must get our, I understand that the, that the Bible is, is, is revelatory in, in, the, in the last days that, 
that there are going to be things that occur. We already know we're in the last days. Trying to figure out and pinpoint a timeline of when this is going to happen and when that's going to happen. The Bible says when they start talking about peace and safety, then you can look up because your redemption draweth nigh. And we know that the spirit of Antichrist is already in the earth. And so we already know we're in the last days. The news cycle is not going to stop. The, the terror threats are not going to stop. The, the, the things that are going on in this world and the debauchery that's in this in this land is not going to stop. And so we don't need to turn a blind eye to it, but we've got to get our eyes off of the negative and turn our gaze onto the positive. We've got to get our eyes on Him, on the one true God. We've got to get our eyes off the insurmountable task and the odds that are stacked against us and get our eyes on Jesus. Hear me this morning. God wants to show us His glory and He wants to do it and reveal himself in a more deeper and a more meaningful way in this moment. I believe that God is calling. I believe that God is drawing. I believe that God is wooing. Right here as I speak this morning, hearts, hearts are burning within them. They don't really know what it is. They don't really understand. They can't really put a finger on it, what it is, but it's because he's coming back. He's returning. He's on his way. He's been He's been speaking. His word is forever settled and their hearts are burning in, in them. I believe that Jesus wants to reveal to us that no matter the circumstance, hope exists. He wants to be, he wants to bring uh, alongside of us in our hearts and in our minds that no matter what has happened and no matter what has occurred, that hope is still alive. You see that while the disciples walked, while they walked among themselves and while they traveled away from Jerusalem on what was considered confusion and defeat as they as they reasoned in among themselves, as as they as they debated among themselves as to all how this is all going to come out. They did that on their way away from Jerusalem by, by allowing the Lord in. They were open to the hope and the evidence that had already he had already overcome. And here's what it did. It drove them back to Jerusalem. While they were conversing, while they were literally debating within themselves, how is all of this going to happen? It said this, said that, he said this, he said that. But how, how, how? We don't understand. There were some that had just checked out. We don't get it. He's gone. It's over. I'm just going to go back to what I did before. Others sat wondering, what does all of this mean? It wasn't supposed to be this way. It wasn't supposed to turn out like this. But when he came... When he came alongside of them, and when he opened to them these promises, when he broke the bread, the negative just seemed to go away, and they saw him for who he is, 
and it drove them back to Jerusalem and into the company of the rest of the disciples. Perhaps the events of yesterday, metaphorically speaking, the, the, event, the events in the last few days have caused you some sort of discomfort. Perhaps the things that have occurred in your life individually, perhaps the things that have occurred in our lives collectively have caused us some doubt. Perhaps it has caused us to debate within ourselves and ask the questions, how is this going to turn out? Because this is not what I had in mind. Perhaps the things that have occurred in your life, the, the things that have even occurred in the last few hours up to this moment have called into question the future because the way we thought it was going to turn out is not necessarily how it did. And so we can't see anything beyond this moment. Can I tell you something this morning? It isn't over. Because it hasn't turned out yet. It isn't over. And this sounds cliche, but if we will hear the Spirit this morning, it is not over because it has not turned out yet. I believe, and I know of some, but I believe there, there are more that I have no clue circumstances. Very real and very difficult circumstances that some have faced and are facing right now in this moment. Real events have occurred in your life that have created a space where doubt creeps in. It's created a moment where trepidation can arrest you that I just don't know that I can go any further. Perhaps it's occurred even in the last few moments that have, be that have begun to allow your mind to, to go on to the future. And on this journey, all this time you've heard the word. All this time you've, you've, you've heard the word. All things work together for good, but for right now, you just don't see how that's going to occur by what has happened. You're not intending to give up. You're not wanting to throw in the towel, but those circumstances, those occurrences are driving you back into a place of familiarity. They're driving you away from Jerusalem. They're causing you to go back, to go out, to walk into obscurity, away from the promise. But God has come alongside you today because he wants to reveal his glory unto you. God wants to reveal to you in such a way that it drives you back to Jerusalem, back to the promise, back
back to the promise and the victory that has occurred. That's that's where these disciples went. That's what they did. They said in their heart, didn't our hearts burn within us while he walked with us and while he talked with us and as he broke the bread, now we know. Now we understand that hope is still alive and it is not over. It's not over because it hasn't turned out yet. The Bible says in Luke 24 and 33, and they rose up that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them saying, the Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared unto Simon and they told them what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread and as they thus spake Jesus, Jesus appeared unto them and said unto them peace be unto you. It was in that moment where they got back into the body. It's that moment where they came back together with the body with the promise, in the promise place that Jesus revealed himself again and said peace be unto you you see this morning Emmaus is on the outskirts Emmaus is away from Jerusalem we don't even know where Emmaus is they don't know where it is to this day they only have speculation and they can only go off of some old maps they don't know where Emmaus is because Emmaus represents the obscurity it's the outskirts but Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the church. Jerusalem is where the promise is. It's where the body is. It's where we've gathered together to wait on his promise and it is in Jerusalem where the spirit will be poured out. It's the place of birth and it's the place of restoration and so I say to somebody this morning you're on your way to to Emmaus but God has come alongside you today we've heard the word this morning brother Larry's already spoken The, the fire of God's word burned inside of us and we felt it we felt it in the moment but we really didn't know what to do with it but we've met we've come to a to a culmination and a moment now where God's word can be revealed and he can be revealed to us hear me now and I end with this if you'll stand with many, with many, many of the disciples. The Bible says that they went back and gathered with the eleven. For all intent and purposes, there was there was enough. The eleven was there. They were going to vote Matthias in. That was going to round out the 12. That was who was going to take the, 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 the gospel to the whole world, starting in Jerusalem. By all intent and purposes, they were already there. They were already in place. They were already poised to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and take the gospel to the world. But there were two. There were two that were walking off to Emmaus we only know one of their names and I think by design we don't know who the other one was because I don't think it really matters who it was you hear me this morning there were enough disciples remaining all the apostles were poised 
But Jesus goes to where two disciples are. Now, we don't even know who one of them is. He came alongside of them. Can I tell you this morning, he didn't owe that to them. He didn't owe that to us. When we begin to maybe step away from God, or maybe there's someone here this morning that is just trying to take a back seat. I don't know if I can do this. So I'm just going to go to Emmaus. I'll see Jerusalem. It's only seven miles. I'll see it every once in a while. I'll visit when I can. But Jesus came to where those two were. And not for a moment, but walked with them their whole journey to Emmaus. And in a home, in a house, in an intimate setting, revealed unto him and unto the other who he is. He didn't owe them a moment of his time. He did not owe them one debt of gratitude. He didn't owe them anything. But he did it anyway. And so I want to tell somebody here this morning that I believe 100% in my heart that the Spirit of God is attempting to draw us into a deeper revelation of who he is. No more speculation. No more worry. No more no more wonder based on the events of the day, but an irrefutable knowledge of who he is by a first-hand encounter and experience. And it all begins right here and right now. He's already come alongside of us today. He's already he's been here. His spirit is evident here now. He's already come alongside of us here today. And we have taken a journey through his word. And I know there's not a few that can say, did not our heart just burn within us while he opened the word to us. But now we've reached a very pivotal moment in this service. And the Lord is a gentleman. And he will go his way if we do not invite him in. And so I wonder right now if there are some people who are willing to step out to lift their hands and to lift their hearts and invite the presence of God into them so that he can reveal again afresh and anew who he is in the name of Jesus. He will not invite himself in. He will not push himself on you, but he will come in if you ask. If you ask, you will receive. He said, knock, and the door would be opened. He said, ask and you will receive he said if you need it if you want it I have it and I will give it I will open my heart to you I will open my heart to you my word to you I will break the bread and I will reveal to you who I am in the name of Jesus This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 
or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.